For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to this place. The key verse is verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Verse 15, because you have said, the Lord hath raised up, us up prophets in Babylon. There's another verse of scripture that's there in your bulletin that we'll refer to here after a while. But um, we've been reviewing prophecies, uh, major prophets in the Bible over the last several weeks. And over the last two weeks, we've been in the book of Jeremiah. Um, and today in particular, our subject is trusting God's plan. You've got to understand that there's a plan for God, for your life that's from God. It's ordained of God just as much as there had to be a drawing up of the plans for this church building. God has a specific plan for your life. And if, if He is God, if He is all-powerful and all that He does is excellent, then we ought to believe that His plan for us is excellent. Amen. And it's organized. It's detailed. It's... There's facets of it, things that we don't understand, but the carpenter understands it. And he's fashioned it all to work out how it should in his time, how he sees it to be lovely. And sometimes that involves pain. Sometimes that involves suffering. Somebody said that the nature of life is how we get through and how we deal with suffering. Now that's not most pleasant view of life, but if you consider it, if you consider it, we go through a lot of suffering and pain. There's a lot of pain in life that we deal with as, as human beings. Every, nobody is not subject to this. Everyone deals with that in some way. Now, the devil would enjoy me getting up before you today and feeding you uh, kind of a pat on the back, feel good message that doesn't carry with it any kind of change or a hope for change. He wouldn't mind me telling you that through suffering and trouble and challenges, all you can do is lay down and lay back and wait on everything to get better. He would appreciate me telling you that. And you can do that, but I'm not here to tell you that. I'm here to give you what the Word says, and it actually says something quite different. You can prosper in your pain. Amen. You can prosper in your pain as much as you can prosper in the good times. Yes. There's a really good book that's written by Brother Ken Gurley, Apostolic Ministers, called The Point of Low Points. You go find that book, Sister April's Amen. You need to find that book and, and read it because it's about the life of Joseph and how there were low points and high points. Yes. If you review just in your mind what happened in the life of Joseph, uh, you know, he gets trashed 
he's he's loved, beloved by his dad among all his brothers. And then he's trashed and thrown in a pit, sold into slavery. Well, then all of a sudden he's respected again and put in a high place. And then all of a sudden he's in jail. And then all of a sudden he's put back on a pedestal. There's high points and low points, but God used the low points to exalt him and lift him up. And so even in the low points, if you go back and look, he did things that put him in a good place to succeed. He never stopped ministry. He never stopped living for God. Even in the low points, we don't have to be idle. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want to share uh, kind of an illustrative story with you. You may never have heard of William Carey, but he was a British shoemaker. And he developed a deep burden for the nations of our world at a time when missionary works aren't like they are today, where just everybody funds them. And if you feel a call to missions, you know, and you're used of God, most likely you're going to be able to do it. You're going to be able to. We'll support you and, and you'll have people getting behind you. At this point in time, it was not organized like that. If you felt it, you were kind of on your own. You had to go do it and, and find your own resources. And uh, for some, they, they called William Carey the father of missions because he did so much and, and, and translated the Bible in so many different languages, Bengali, Oriya, Assamese, Arabic, Hindi, Sanskrit, all these different languages. These people had never read a Bible before, but this man makes it possible. And he goes and does the work. Now, while he was doing all of this, and he gets a lot of recognition, he said that his success belonged to his sister, Polly. Polly Carey, who is far less known, she was bedridden and almost completely paralyzed for 52 years. Besides sleeping and eating, she could only write and pray. Friends would prop her up in the bed and she wrote loving, inspiring, encouraging letters to her brother who was in India. She prayed daily for him. She prayed for his fellow missionaries in the area for the translation of the Word that God would help him to be able to do it in more languages to more people. And she prayed they would grow in favor with men. And she prayed for the work. And because of her prayers, great things were done around the world. Polly Carey was held captive by her physical limitations. But she did not allow a low point that was extended 52 years longer than most of us to stop her from doing the will of God. Amen. Amen. She changed the world. Imprisoned in a paralyzed body, she used the two things she could do to influence her world. My message to you today in all this, I hope that you leave with this, is that God wants us to prosper in our captivity. Amen. And that was part of the message that He would give to Jeremiah to these people. Now, the, the, the situation in our text is Israel and Judah had rejected the law of God. They had rejected it. They were doing evil. And God sent them into captivity in Babylon. This was the start of it. 
And this is where we begin to hear of the man Nebuchadnezzar. And his army burned Jerusalem. And they had robbed the temple of golden vessels, ransacked. They had taken the royal seed and the best of Jewish leadership, all of them into exile. But in all of that, terrible situation, not good, a low point. God wanted Israel to prosper even in their captivity. Because Jeremiah wrote to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, Jeremiah chapter 29, instructing them in their captivity to build houses, plant gardens, eat what they produced, to marry, to have children. Jeremiah knew that this captivity was going to be 70 years and the instruction from God through the man of God was we need to make the best out of these 70 years even though it's a low point. Now, it's inevitable. You are going to hit a speed bump in life. If you've never been through any type of trouble or struggle, hang on a minute. You're going to get there. Amen. Well, that's an encouraging word. I know it is. I know y'all just uplifted right now. Hallelujah. Hey, look at Brother Wayne smiling. I don't know how that just gave you so much joy. Amen. <laughs> You're going to meet struggle in life. It's inevitable. But, what was uh, HGNN? Holy Ghost News Network alert. You ready? Buckle up. You ready? Just because you come up against a great struggle or setback here in the middle of your relationship with God doesn't mean you take a 40-year break or a one-year break or a six-month break from living for God passionately. That's right. Amen. Amen. It don't give us a license for that. Amen. God don't hand out get out of the Great Commission cards. That ain't how it works. And sometimes... Really, it's designed by God that we go through things. Yes. Sometimes it's a test and He wants to see if we're still, through the low point, going to do what we need to do. And we don't need to take a break from serving Him. God wishes that we prosper in our captivity. That's the will of God. I've got kind of a, a, a fire in my soul that, you know, somebody this morning, you're walking through your captivity... And you're feeling kind of low, but God's saying, I want you to prosper in that. And you might be there until you start prospering. That's hard to accept sometimes. But we all have our own (laughs) captivity. Everybody goes through your own captivity. Some are imprisoned by trauma in the past of their life. Some are imprisoned by what's going on in the present. Sometimes it's what's going on with family. Sometimes it's finances. We go through our own captivity. Others are bound by past mistakes and sin enslaves some people. They're just enslaved in, in living in sin. And fear and regret hold some people back. But God says, 
I want you to break through all of that and prosper for me. I want you to prosper living for me. Now, this is not a worldly prosperity message today. I want you to understand that. But it is a prosperity message. I'm not preaching the uh, name it and claim it. Who wants an Escalade? That's not what I'm preaching this morning. But I am preaching prosperity. Because, see, here's the thing. The world says prosperity. And it means carnality. Things of this world. But God says, I want you to prosper. And that's in the Word. And He means eternity. That's right. That's right. He don't mean my finances right here because the fact is, this is just a small portion of time. It's about like this. That's right. And eternity stretches from that wall to that wall. And in heaven, we're going to prosper, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. But even here on earth, prosperity is not what everybody else is thinking it is. Prosperity is intercession. Come on. Prosperity is gifts of the Spirit. Prosperity is the fruit of the Spirit. Prosperity is the things that happen in this altar. That's prosperity in this earth. Now, don't get me wrong. God, I, I believe that if, if somebody will practice stewardship and they'll manage God's money right, I think you're going to make life better for yourself. Amen. Sure. You will. You will, and you may not be the richest person in the world. It's not designed that every person be rich. And so we're not preaching that here this morning. But I, I will tell you this you can prosper spiritually no matter what. You can. I can guarantee you that today. It is a prosperity message, but maybe perhaps not like everybody else means it. Amen. God will give us prosperity even in our captivity, He'll also give us peace. Jeremiah told the Jewish exiles to seek peace and prosperity of the city in which they lived. They were to pray for their new home. We're in, in a land, if you go and look at what happened in Babylon, we're talking about a sinful nation. We're, we're, we're talking about some, some deep sin that happened in this place that they were now required to live in and amongst. But yet they were to pray for their city. And they were to want peace and God would give them peace in their city. If the city enjoyed peace and prosperity, they would too. Now, there's nothing wrong in a nation where, I mean, it don't take much work to find something to just being honest to be disappointed about in our nation. Okay, you can go and get a newspaper this morning, get out your phone, get on the news somewhere and find something to be disappointed about in the United States of America. However, that don't mean we don't desire peace and prosperity for this nation that we find ourselves in. Amen. Amen. And, and as, as a matter of fact, I tend to believe that the United States of America ought to thank God for the Christians yeah. and the Apostolics and the Pentecostals that are lifting it up in prayer. It might be sometimes the one thing that's making the difference. Amen. And so in your prayer, don't ever forget the peace of this nation. Amen. That God has placed you in. He's, he's designed for you to live in the midst of this. He wants the nation to prosper, not just you. Um, but God desires that we also be not deceived in our captivity. Now, Jeremiah cautioned 
um, in, in, in prophecy about listening to false prophets. There were false prophets. They prophesied peace and security for Judah and Jerusalem in the time of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. However, the Lord had not sent these men. Uh, Jeremiah knew the time and the extent of this exile. He knew that if somebody come along uh, and said, the Lord is going to release us from captivity in one year and two months. Jeremiah already knew, you got a word from God, it's going to be 70 years. So he's telling these people, when uh, Paulie the prophet comes around and he's telling you this, you've already heard a word from God and God don't contradict His word. It's a false prophet. It's a false prophet. And you need to believe God for what He's already said. And the Lord had not sent these men. There's scriptures in the Bible, you can, I believe it's in Ezekiel, where uh, it mentions... Uh, these men have said, thus saith the Lord, when the, the Lord hath not spoken. And it's a dangerous thing to speak prophecy, to speak words and say they're of God when they are not of God. It's a Amen. very, very dangerous thing. And I'm going to tell you why. And, and really, you may wonder, how can I know that a word from God that I received is true and right? How do I know any of this if, if I'm just hearing it from a person you need to understand this. God places a high value on His Word. He places a very high value on His Word. You remember we talked about how He puts the stars in the sky and they're just still expanding today. The Word's still doing its work. There's a high value that we and He places on His Word. And so He protects it. He protects His Word. If it's true, you'll know it. You're going to know it. He's going to prove it. If it's not, you'll know that too. He's going to prove His Word. He will. And if you hear a word from God, believe God for His Word and trust Him to take care of it. That's all you need to do. Amen. And um, while the world today screams gloom and doom, it prophesies of, of, of many things to us, God's Word proclaims that we're going to have a victory through Jesus Christ. And so the world reports things like Christianity's dying out. Well, if you, if you actually look and study it, that, that doesn't really explain the 10,000 people in one day that get the Holy Ghost in Africa. That's right. Come on. That's right. Amen. This thing's not dying out, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. And you need to be careful who you listen to. Amen. If it be of God, believe God. Yes. Amen. And so don't be deceived in your captivity. Hallelujah. God also promises deliverance from captivity. He not only gave warnings and instructions about the captivity, how long it was going to be and, and such, where it was going to be, but He also declared the people would eventually come out of bondage. God is a God of deliverance. Yes, He is. He's not a God of bondage. Sometimes it's in His work. But... He would that all men come unto Him and be saved. And so, God is not a God of bondage. He does not want you to live in bondage and hurt all of your life. Um, a lot of prophecies like this, what's focused on more than anything is judgment. You remember last week when we were reading through the, the prophecy in Jeremiah, I think it was chapter 18 and 19, 
our text was in 18, but I skipped over a little bit to 19 and read a little bit of it. A little bit descriptive and gruesome on judgment. And sometimes people get hung up on that part of the prophecy. But you've got to understand that whenever there's captivity, whenever there's judgment, that's not the end of the Word of the Lord. He's not a God of bondage. He's a God of deliverance. And there's always a good word coming. There's always a good word coming. There's always a good end to it from a good God. And He promises deliverance from captivity. He would not leave His people in bondage if they would turn to Him and seek His face. And so He tells them, I'm going to deliver you from bondage. It's going to happen. And um, now, in our text there, we also read a little bit from 2 Chronicles. We're going to expand on that a little bit. Matter of fact, let me just read it. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. So the, the prophecy that come out of Jeremiah's mouth of God is going to be accomplished the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all this people? The Lord God, the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And so God begins His work of deliverance from Babylon. And He does it through a heathen king of Persia by the name of Cyrus. And it's, it's by Cyrus God uses this man to bring down Nebuchadnezzar. He uses him to bring down... Uh, all of Babylon, eventually, it all comes down. And Cyrus was God's chosen vessel to deliver Israel from Babylonian bondage. And so God proved His Word. There's going to be judgment in prophecy sometimes. But there's a good end to all of it. He does it for a good purpose. And He accomplished that in His Word. And so Cyrus sent out this proclamation and... Uh, and he began to do what God was instructing him to do. Um, Cyrus, the heathen king of the Persians. God can use even people that don't serve him completely sometimes. He uses what's at hand for his purposes. Right. He can use a donkey. Yes. Matter of fact, I've said this before. I don't know if anybody looked it up. He's used a pastry in His Word. We had some pastries this morning. You believe God can use a donut? Amen. Amen. Study, study your Bible. God, God used a pastry one time. And God uses what's at hand, sometimes whether it or they have the Holy Ghost or not. Amen. But He accomplished His will one way or the other. He will accomplish His will. Yes, will. You can rest assured of that, even if it's by the hand of Cyrus. And he was God's anointed instrument that day in that time uh, in initiating the restoration of Israel. It's all part of God's plan. Sometimes we don't understand it. We don't understand why God chooses to use some people over others. Why some people have to go through this and we've got to go through that. It's all his plan. I want to get back to this. God has a plan for your life. 
He has not given some people an extraordinary plan that you look at it and you think, man, boy, he just wrote the map up for them. I don't know what he's thinking with me. That ain't the way that it works. You may not understand it. Still yet, God has a plan for your life, no matter what you're going through. No matter what has happened to you, the plan's not broke off because something happened. God has a great plan for every purpose, for every person, and it's got parts to it. And I, I just want to cover those real quick. Just as God has a plan for Israel in that day, He's got a plan for us. He's ordained us to be kings and priests in His earthly kingdom. Now, I had to mess with somebody the other day. I can't remember if I talked about this in here last Sunday, but I've got a guy at work that approached me with this, this whole thing about, you know, you hear it from people all the time. Well, you know, they can't judge me, or you can't judge, you know. It's, it's, boy, it's the line. It's the go-to line, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's their get-out-of-jail-free card for discussing the gospel. Can't judge me, you know. And really what it is, is there's conviction for sin that's in their life. And so Amen. they use that as a defense wall, using Scripture as a defense wall. And uh, I messed with them a little bit. I said, well, actually, God has ordained me to be a judge. And I smiled and you know, I let him know what I meant. That God has ordained us to judge throughout this earth one day. And we're going to be judges over everything. That's right. And so, now I'm not saying we need to go out and you know judge people. You know, that's not my goal in that. But I'm trying to give them a little bit different perspective of the word. You know, we are ordained to be judges, and matter of fact, we're in training for it, yes. as God teaches us right from wrong, what agrees with His Spirit and what does not. Even today. Amen. And so God has plans for us. Peter said we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For this reason, God brought deliverance out of our captivity. Why is God going to bring you? How do I know that God is going to bring you through the captivity you're dealing with today? Because He's ordained you to be a king. Amen. You have your own courtroom waiting on you. And if God's going to get you there, He's got to get you through captivity. That's right. Amen. So I'm encouraging you today. Prosper in your captivity for God for a while. Because one day you're going to inherit a new role, a new body. Amen. You're going to judge. You're going to be a king over this earth. And we're going to rule and reign with Him in eternity. Praise God. So, the first thing in God's plan for us is to prosper. It's to prosper. Now, the definition of to prosper, it's to grow strong and healthy, to be successful. So it doesn't necessarily have the carnal meaning that most people would take it as to be successful. Now, so here's a question for you. What, just think about this for a moment in your mind before I answer it for you. What are the signs of someone who is a prosperous or successful Pentecostal? 
God wants you to prosper. To prosper is to be successful. What would be the signs of a successful, prosperous Pentecostal? You know, is it, is it just tithe paying? Is it just clapping during worship? You know, or is it more? That's kind of, you know, there's, there's doing all right. And then there's prospering. If you do, you know what you know you're supposed to do. You pay your tithes. You show up for church. You know, you, you pray a little bit. That's good. But what about prospering? What about moving into the deep things of God? How about this? You've got to be active in your relationship with God. That's right. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. You want to prosper. I'm just pushing a little bit today. When, when is the last time that you lost yourself in prayer? You want to prosper. Anybody want to prosper? Just raise your hand and wave it if you feel like prosper. I'm not going to answer all this question for you, but what would you look like? What would be the signs in your life of prospering as a Pentecostal? That's something to think about. God wants us to prosper. Amen. But, you know, I'm talking on the spiritual side, but let me drift just a minute into prospering means more than just the spirituality. Really, if we're talking about finances, Sister Kirsten and I have uh, gotten into Dave Ramsey pretty deep. And, and learned a lot through that. But regarding finances, let me talk to you about this because we've gained some knowledge. Um, sometimes we wish God would bless us with a bigger paycheck or more money. And God's saying, I want you to manage what I've given you more of already right. That's right. And if you can do that, You'll prosper. I've given you the tools financially to prosper. And so sometimes we've got to manage God's money right and you can prosper. It may not be, you know, living like a king, but you can prosper with what God has given you. God's given us all something. Yes. And you can prosper with what He's given to you. And that is His will, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not telling you you're going to go get the escalator. But I am telling you that you can prosper in what God has given you. And the, the, the famous quote from Dave Ramsey is, if you'll live like no one else, later on you can live like no one else. So if you save a little bit and do not do with you know, this here, later on you're going to be able to do more than anybody else. And so it's managing God's money and prospering. Amen. So he wants us to prosper. That's one prosper part of God's plan. Two, He wants hope for us in our plan. He's got hope for you today. You may not see hope at what you're looking at right now, but there is hope in God's plan for you. We've got a world that is hopeless today in a lot of ways. There's people that are living hopeless. They feel like there's nothing that they can run to, nothing that they have, and headlines scream about you know, things like a possible nuclear war with other countries. And people get just bugged clean out of their rocking chair about what's going on in the world. Because there's not a lot of hope in the world's message. 
you can't find a whole lot of it. And the bad news sells, unfortunately. And so that's going to be on the front cover of everything. And let me throw this out there. If you dwell too much on what's going on in the world, you're going to not be in a very good mood. And there's times, I don't think you need to cut yourself off completely from what's going on in our world because we need to see the prophecies as they take place. Amen. Amen? Amen. But don't get so wrapped up in it that you get bogged down. There's a time to step away from the latest conspiracy theory that's gone out. And, you know, hey, these folks, I mean, there's people that are so bogged into it there's people that believe that we didn't land on the moon. Now you're in pretty deep. You might need to step back, you know, step back, drink a little bit of coffee, and think about it a little bit more. You know, maybe you're in a little too deep. You get what I'm saying? You can get so bogged into all that that it's consumed your thoughts. And you need to step back away from all that. Amen. Because if we're living for God... There's hope in God. You can get bogged down in the world and not have hope, but if you get far enough into God, you can't help but have hope. Amen. And Paul reminded the Romans, now the God of hope fill you. He's telling them, this is what you need to have done. Let God fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you. Praise God. Now, today, oh Lord, I'm feeling that. Today, if you come in here and you've got sorrow on you, if you come in here and you're kind of bogged down, let's put that Scripture in reverse. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, abound in hope, and be filled with all joy and peace in believing all by God. That's the reverse of that. The reverse of that scripture. If you're feeling that today, get in the Holy Ghost. Yes. Get in the Holy Ghost about as far as you can get deep into it, and you're going to have joy. That's right. Amen. Amen. You're going to have joy. Amen. Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah lamented in Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 21, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. The psalmist penned, let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. And for thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. Our hope is based on the power of God. Amen. You want joy. You want hope. You want peace in your life. You feel like you can't get anywhere else. Get in God. Amen. Get, get in His presence. Get in His house. Praise the Lord. And so there's hope. And there's also future. There's also future. Amen. God wants a future for everybody. He wants a good future for you. It's not a future of destruction. It's not anything like that. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be blessed. And uh, without the Lord, our future is hopeless. It's, it's bleak. It's not very good. Believers don't need to take their cues 
from the reports that's given by news networks, things like that. We got to take our cues from the Word of God. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. It, it can't be our our attitude, our feelings going about this life cannot be based on the words of people that aren't serving God. We're trying to minister to those people. Yes. Amen. But if we can if we can get in the presence of God, you can get joy on you. Yes. Maybe he don't deliver you a word necessarily and all that. That's okay. You've got a whole bunch of word that you can take your cue from. Amen. And God God will give you assurance and hope for your future. There's prophecies in this book. It's not been fulfilled yet. They're well on their way. But you can look at the wonderful future that we've got. You can read about it. You can trust God. Song says, you know, if you want if you want to really have hope in your future. Song says, "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon His promise, just to know.